Good evening. I'm uh, Associate Pastor Eric Corbett, and for uh, Pastor Rick this evening. And if you would, uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. That is 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And our verse tonight is going to be uh, verse 5 of First Timothy chapter 2, and that's, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. The title of this evening's message is, Who's the Man? And, uh, you know, we can often hear that, uh, someone declared as the man. You know, some, somebody says, who's the man? Or, you know, or you the man. Um, or, you know, people talk about the man, you know, big government and things like that. The emphasis is put on the definite article, the, when making these statements, with the idea of making a distinction between this man or that man. And there's nothing wrong with offering an encouragement from time to time. You know, we, we say that to one another sometimes. Uh, but when it comes to speaking about Jesus Christ, he is the man like no other and unlike all others. There is no one like him. And here the Apostle Paul, in speaking to Timothy about Jesus Christ, uh, as the mediator for salvation between God and mankind. And he places emphasis on the, the fact that Christ was a man. But by his role as uh, just a mediator alone, this speaks to him of being much more than just a man. And so tonight we're going to take a look at the uniqueness of Jesus Christ as our great mediator. So what is a mediator? Um, a mediator is one who mediates <laughs> between two parties um, to remove a disagreement or to reach a common goal. Uh, a mediator, mediator is, is a go-between, someone who stands in the middle, in the gap. They're uh, a reconciler. They can take two parties and bring them together and come to an agreement. Um, they can be uh, called a negotiator of peace. Uh, if the two parties are in a you know, disagreement, uh, that mediator is the one who comes and brings them together and reconciles and brings peace between the two. So, you know, we have this in, in life. You know, you can have a lawyer. Uh, acting as a mediator between two parties over a contract. And so we, we're, this is not an unfamiliar um, uh, situation or, or role that, that we see here in life. But uh, we're talking about a mediator between God and men here. So why does man need a mediator? Well, before we answer that question, um, we'll first talk a little bit about man and his purpose. Uh, who man is and, and what, what's, what's it all about? Why is man here? So God created man. And uh, in Genesis chapter 1, uh, we'll read in verse 26 and 27. This is speaking of God creating man. And it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. 
Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then uh, we read a little further commentary in uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, about the creation of man. And it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So God made man unique. Man was created different from all of the rest of the, the animals in creation here on the earth. And uh, he's completely different. And that he was created in the image and the likeness of God. Uh, God intended that man would have a special uh, fellowship and communion with him. And so this, God's paid, paid special attention and in, in, invested in the creation of man. Because man was to reflect God's glory in a very special way. In a way that's different from the rest of the animals, the rest of the, the, the creation. The birds, the trees, those those kinds of things. So in the beginning, man enjoyed a wonderful relationship with his God, wonderful relationship with his maker. But that all changed. And we're you know familiar with the story. So what happened? Well, there's a big lie that that happens that changed everything. God had given a simple command to Adam and Eve to abstain from eating the fruit of one of the trees in the garden. While they could enjoy all of the rest of the trees in the garden. There were no restrictions except for this one. And uh, the consequence of breaking that that commandment was death. God told them up front. He said, look, the the day that you eat of the fruit of the tree, you're going to die. And so Satan comes along and he takes advantage of this. Because, of course, he was obviously upset about what God was doing. He hated God and everything that he was about. And seeing that uh, God had, had... invested this special way in this creation of man he wasn't going to stand for that so he comes along and he he encounters eve and uh he begins to speak with her and he creates doubt in in her mind he introduces doubt and he begins to convince her of a couple things number one he tried to he began to convince her that god wasn't trustworthy and in other words basically saying that god was a liar and uh that she could also um, not just remain in the state of being uh, Eve as a, as a, as a man, as, a, as in mankind, but she could be elevated and to be like God herself. And uh, we read this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Um, it says this. Wait a minute. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. That's where she first slipped up. Because that wasn't exactly what God had said. Verse 4, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so here's the lie that Satan puts forth to her to create this doubt. And she falls for it, unfortunately. She falls for it, and then Adam, uh, because the Bible tells us clearly that Eve was deceived, but Adam was close by it's soon after this exchange and and he 
agrees with her and, and partakes of the fruit. And so they both fall into sin. They both sin and uh, they break God's commandment. And then the curse of sin is now pronounced and death has entered the world. And so now as a result of this action, everyone uh, who's born after uh, is under the curse of sin. And we're all born sinners by nature as a result. And so uh, we're now prone to sin and to stray away from God. And so Satan sets this in motion, and uh, he knew what he was doing. Uh, he, he begins with this plan to turn man away from God, uh, of course, by convincing Eve that God was holding back, uh, planning the idea, of course, again, that God was selfish, that he was untrustworthy. And uh, he wanted both Adam and Eve to believe that there was an alternative to God's will, an alternative to his plan and to his word. And so uh, he proposed that the alternative to doing that uh, was to go their way and not God's way. And, uh, and, and, and inferring that God wasn't unique. There was nothing special about God is, is underlying all of this as well. Uh, to convince them that they could be like God and not have to be subject to him. And so man is still falling for this very same lie. Everything that goes on in this world, all of the deception, all of the, um, uh, the things that are wrong, that are connected and, and have their, their root in, in humanity, fallen uh, humanity, they can all be traced back to this very one lie. I mean, you know, Satan has a very small playbook. He doesn't have to have, you know, a very thick playbook because the, the same things work over and over and over and over again. And um, we see it played out. We see it played out in our own lives. We see it played out before us and in the world around us. And uh, so, again, this this lie is at the root of uh, every belief system, whether it's an organized religion or an ideology uh, or some kind of concept or way of thinking or theory. Anything that's not centered in God's word it can be traced back again to, to the to this lie. So. How has man attempted to deal with this? This is a big problem because it impacts and affects everyone and everything throughout all of human history. So how, do, how does man deal with this? Well, man is sought to either uh, approach it by either circumventing God altogether, believing that he can be like God, or try to solve the issue on his own. Uh, trying to deal with the issue of sin by coming up with something that's obviously not going to work. And uh, so this is, again, the basis for all so-called religion and is, again, tied to that very first lie. So all of the false religions that we see out there, whether it's Islam, Buddhism, um, uh, paganism, witchcraft, you know, that kind of stuff is actually on the rise in this country, uh, believe it or not. Uh, Whether it's uh, meditation, whether it's worship of the environment, uh, all of these things have their roots uh, in either in this lie but it's either an attempt to uh, try to address the issue of sin by coming up with some kind of method or some kind of work or basically trying to get around God altogether and, uh, you know, come up with your own way that things are. Um, uh, evolution, that's a religion. And it's basically, you know, man trying to explain his origins apart from the, what God has clearly told us about how man came about. We just read it. And yet, and still, man says, oh, that's a lie, and, and says, oh, you know, then, then they have to come up with all of these crazy ideas to try to make the pieces work. You know, I was originally, you know, when I started uh, seeking the Lord on what to talk about uh, in this verse, uh, originally it was going was gonna to go in a direction, I was going to title it uh, The Missing Link. 
um, because, you know, they, they just recently uh, in the news found another supposed missing link. And, you know, man is always looking for the missing link. And these scientists, I guess they get bored or they get tired when they when nobody's talking about them. So all of a sudden they find another missing link. And um, and it's 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 junk. It's it's not true. Um, and they have to come up with these these ways to to make these things fit together by saying that, of course, creation is, you know, hundreds of millions and billions of years old. And, and it's not. Um, but anyway, um, any of these false religious systems are, again, man's attempt to either address the issue of sin on his own or to ignore it completely and come up with something else because he's putting himself in the place of God. And, um, you know, so when it comes to other religions, you know, if they come up with rituals to do some kind of good work or something like that. But the Bible says this, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but debt. And that's from Romans chapter four, verse two. So all of these false religions that uh, have these rituals and these rites that are not based in truth, uh, they're trying to, of course, address the issue of sin and they're working hard. I mean, and some of them work really, really hard. I mean, they come up with all sorts of things, crawling on, you know, your knees, on steps and all of these things you got to do. And, and other ways they try to try to do things where they um, make donations and, and, and look after the poor, which is nothing wrong with that. But if you're seeking to do that to find some kind of uh, way to please God and to address your sin, you're not going to get anywhere. And as a matter of fact. You're not going to gain. You're, you're losing is what the scripture says to him who works. The wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. You're not you're not adding to your account. You you're digging a hole um, that you can't get out of. Uh, you're, digging, you're digging your own grave, so to speak. And Romans six twenty three says this. The wages of sin is death. So if you're working hard trying to please God, and it's not according to his word. It's not according to his truth. It's not according to what he has laid out clearly as the way that pleases him, because the way to please him is, is, is through faith, through trusting in him and what he's done, going his way. It's on his terms. If you're doing some other way, then you are uh, creating a debt, because the wages of sin is death. At the end of life, you will not, you get, you get bunkus <laughs> as, as the word goes. Um, and, uh, the, but Romans six twenty three also says this, because the first half says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So God answers the one who's seeking to work to try to clean up his debt, to try to, to try to, uh, clear his ledger of his sins to be, um, uh, promised to have a restoration with God, the one who's working to do that, God says the work's already been done because I have provided a gift, a solution that you don't have to work because he's already done this work. And so uh, all of these other beliefs or faith systems uh, that don't seek God and try to in- elevate themselves in, in some ways, in many ways to achieve Godhood, um, these are our religions that won't get the person anywhere. So uh, these are some of the ways that man has tried to uh, address and to deal with the sin situation apart from the Lord. But uh, so we need a solution. And so we need a mediator as the verse tells us. So why do we need a mediator? We need a mediator because of sin, because man can't do anything to fix his own sin. Isaiah 59 verse 1 and 2 says this. 
Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Because of sin, fellowship has been broken with God. And being that man was created to have this fellowship with him, uh, there's in each human heart a longing to have that, that fellowship restored. And not everyone knows or will acknowledge this, but it's there. Uh, the Bible tells us that God has put eternity in the hearts of men. And we read that in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 8. So man can't fix his sin problem. Um, he's capable of doing lots of things, but he's not able to fill his greatest need, which is to be saved from a sure judgment. So, again, man can do a lot of things, but he can't fix his broken relationship with a holy God. And God is holy. And because he's holy, he will judge sin. But because man is a sinner, he falls under that judgment unless that sin is dealt with. And the removal of sin, of course, is out of man's hands. And so, therefore, someone else needs to be involved. Because the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, meaning that there is no one of us who's qualified to remove sin because we're all in the same state. So imagine if uh, just maybe a poor example, but this, this is the best I came up with for, for using uh, right now. Um, if we were all if the whole world, if we were all in a pit of sludge and, you know, use your imagination there, um, then who of us would be able to, to clean up anyone else? If everybody else is in the same state, there wouldn't be anybody that would be qualified to start cleaning somebody else up because they got the same stink on them that you got on you. (laughs) Have on you, sorry. Um, (laughs) So we need someone else outside of that circumstance that doesn't have the funk on them to – to do a cleansing work. And that's, that's what the work of the mediator Christ Jesus does. We need someone who could stand before God on our behalf, who is clean, someone who is pure, someone who is righteous, someone who was without sin, someone who was holy, a true mediator, someone who could restore what was broken and repair the relationship between man and God because of sin. So what is the solution that man, excuse me, that God has put forth for man's problem? We got the sin problem. We need a mediator. And that's what God does. He sends a mediator. He sends someone who could be a go between between sinful man and this holy God. And so this mediator would need to be acceptable by both parties. Otherwise, you know, it could break down. You know, if you have have a situation where, you know, there are two people who are in an argument or in a disagreement and someone comes between them and there's not a, you know, a a connection. They they don't make a connection between uh, the person who stands in the middle and the two on the other side. Well, then the 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 um, the uh, word I'm looking for. It breaks down. It's not going to work. You have to have. In that mediator, someone that is relatable or that both parties can relate to. Otherwise, you're not going to get anywhere. There'll be instead of two people having an argument, maybe three people having an argument. And so um, there has to be in that mediator something that's acceptable by both parties. That mediator would have to have the ability to have a connection to be a negotiator of peace between the two. And so that's exactly what Christ Jesus has done. He's, he's made peace between God and man. It says this, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him, 
to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in he- of things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. That's Colossians chapter one, verse 19. And that's what Jesus has done. Uh, he has he has reconciled all things together between the, the whole mess of sin and the break in the relationship between man and God. And he did that through the blood of his cross. And so Jesus was able to achieve this reconciliation. But of course, he, he did it by the blood of his cross. It was at a, at a great cost, a great cost to him. Uh, it cost didn't cost us anything, but it cost him everything. Uh, and God was willing to do that to fix the relationship. So he is the mediator. And um, uh, Paul says he is the man, Christ Jesus. Well, so who is this man? Well, a little bit more about him. So in order for Jesus Christ to be an effective mediator, um, he would need to be qualified in certain ways that someone else wouldn't be or couldn't be. Uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 22, says this about, about Jesus. Uh, that's not it. Sorry. Somebody play some music quick. <laughs> We'll do this like this. Luke 8, 22. Technology. Sin, man. I tell you, sin, it shows up everywhere. Um, Now, it happened on a certain day that he, speaking of Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples and said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. But he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him. So here we have Jesus here demonstrating that he has capabilities more than just your average person. Um, He, of course, uh, in this example, is uh, exercising power and authority over over creation. And um, so that's something that's a little bit more than just anyone else could step in and do. Um, When those who were sent to arrest Jesus um, came back without him uh, to the religious leaders, They confessed that they were astounded by his words. John chapter 7 verse 44 says this. Now, some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why have you not brought him? The officers answered, no man ever spoke like this man. They were (laughs) they were blown away by his wisdom, by his poise. Again, you know, the scriptures say that, you know, when he spoke and when he taught, he taught it with authority, not as the scribes taught. And so there was a wisdom that accompanied Jesus that that others didn't have. And so the the point that I'm trying to make here is that Jesus Christ is, is qualified to be a mediator between God and men because he has qualities that go way beyond any other man could have. And so this man, Jesus Christ, referred to himself as the son of man. And the prophet Daniel uh, says this in Daniel chapter 7, uh, in this vision that he has of, of Christ, way before he shows up uh, in Galilee. Daniel chapter 7, 
verse 13. I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. So here is Daniel. He's he's you know prophesying and speaking ahead of time, of course, of Jesus Christ and the work that he's doing. And he sees him, but he calls him the son of man. And it's, it's very interesting that he, he says that. Um, uh, but here in this vision, he's coming to 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 the father, to the to the ancient of days. And so this is something that's that's more than just a, a man could do. God is revealing this uh, about who this coming one would be to Daniel. And, and here we have it. And so he's not just a mere man. Jesus Christ, of course, is not a mere man, but he is divine. And um, he alludes to that or basically states it himself in John chapter five, verse 22. For the father judges no one. These are Jesus own words. The father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son that all should honor the son just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son to have life in himself. I'll keep reading and and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this for the hours coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So here Jesus is laying out clearly that he is on the same plane and on the same level with God, the father, that he has authority to judge the, the living and the dead that he has the, the power and the authority to bring life to those who, who hear him. And so these are qualities that you're not just going to find in, you know, uh, the guy down the street. Um, this, this, is, this, is, this qualifies him to be in a place where he can actually mediate between God and men. And because of his div- divinity, he also has authority to judge. Uh, Paul, speaking of Jesus Christ, uh, says this in Acts chapter 17, Verse 29, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, speaking of in the past time before Christ came, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And so the proof that Jesus Christ has the authority from God, the father to to judge the living and the dead is his resurrection. Um, that is a power that is not demonstrated anywhere else in any place in creation or history. Um, the power of Jesus Christ being raised from the dead is, is like none other. So the, what I'm hopefully establishing here is that Jesus Christ is well qualified to be the mediator, and it is because he is God. Um, he is not just a mere man. He is clearly God. And so uh, there is no one like him. Jesus Christ is not only God, but he is also fully man. Again, that mediator has to have the ability to connect with both parties. So being that he's God and he's God, the son, 
Well, there's a connection there with God the Father. But he also has to have a connection with man, with, 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 with sinful, fallen man. And he's done that by becoming a man. And uh, Galatians says this, Galatians chapter 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So here the scripture declares that, that Jesus Christ, although he was the son of God, he came to become a man, to partake of flesh and blood. John chapter 1, verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus Christ, though he was, is, is God, and he never ceased being God, he fully partook of humanity. Um, there was, there was, he, he, there was nothing about being human in the human experience that he left out uh, of his experience, except for the fact that he he did not have sin. He was without sin, and uh, in the scriptures we see this. We we see him get hungry, we see him get tired, uh, we see him feel pain. And that's both uh, physically and emotionally. I mean, there were times when, when you know, you know, when J- Jesus he wept. You know, when he's riding into Jerusalem, uh, you know, he says he's weeping, and it's and it's a massive heaving chest. I mean, it's boohooing, and uh, you know, he experienced joy. Uh, all of the things and all of the experiences that we can have in life as just being human, even though we're in a fallen state. These are things that he willfully took on so that he could identify with us. Um, He could fully enter into our experience so that no one could say, you don't understand. No one could say to Jesus Christ, you don't know what it's like going through this. You don't know how I'm feeling. You don't know what it's like to have this happen and then have this happen and to think that you're making it through and then have this happen. He could say, yes, I know all of it. Um, you know, uh, one of the people that comes to mind is Job. You know, Job suffered tremendously. And, of course, the, the story and the encounter of Job happened before Christ came as a man. But you know what? Job, now that he's in heaven, he's in glory, he knows full well that Christ knows exactly what he went through because he allowed himself to suffer even more tremendously than, than Job did. And so we can have uh, uh, confidence in knowing that no matter what we encounter in life, no matter what we go through, uh, whether it's the good or the bad, that Christ uh, knows exactly where we are and he's right there with us. Uh, We don't have to go through it alone. And so he is uh, fully man and he is the promised one. He is the promised man that uh, was foretold way, way back. This is what God says back in Genesis when he confronts Eve after she sinned. And in Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse 13, this is after uh, the, the, the fall and God seeks Adam and Eve out and he encounters them and he confronts them. And in Genesis chapter 3, this is uh, verse 13, God, it says this, And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. 
And so here God says that he's, this is the first instance that we have of the promise of a savior coming. And he says that there's going to be one, he's telling Eve that there's going to be one that's born from her that will destroy the works of the devil and, um, and, and fix all of this mess that Satan started. Uh, and so Eve picks up on this. She, she, she noted that. And she makes this statement at the birth of her first child. And in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. <laughs> and it's, it, it just, it's just a real simple verse right there, but it, it seems to give an indication that she was thinking that God was going to fulfill his promise that he made when he said that, that, that your seed um, will crush the head of the seed of Satan. And, and so she's like, oh, well, you know, she gives birth. First child, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a man child. It's Cain. She had no idea what Cain was going to do later. And um, she's thinking that this is the fulfillment of the promise. God has given me a man. God said that there's going to be a man that's going to come. Oh, he's here. She had no idea that it was going to take thousands of years before God would send his son to actually fulfill this promise. And a whole bunch of other stuff will take place uh, in between. And so I find it interesting that Jesus refers to himself as the son of man. Here Eve is is thinking that she has a son of, of man. It's the first child, the first male that's been born uh, in humankind. And He's the first son of man, technically, so to speak. And so Jesus refers to himself as the son of man over 80 times in the Gospels, bringing home the idea that he's that son of man that Eve was hoping for. He's the one that 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 God was speaking about that, of course, she was thinking was going to was going to be fulfilled sooner. And by his his own self title of calling himself the son of man, he again is yet confirming that he is the fulfillment of the promise. And so Jesus Christ is not only the son of God, but he is also the son of man. And therefore, he is the fulfillment of all of the promises that God made regarding the savior of mankind and also making himself the most qualified to be the mediator between God and man. He's not just the son of God, he is also the son of man. And in the two uh, we have Jesus Christ, 100% God, 100% man. And so this mediator that we have is not someone that's far off. He's not someone that's, that's done this work off in a corner. Uh, he, is, he is near to us. And so uh, God is, is the one who has made a way and has sought us out. He has sought man out to fix this issue of, of the sin problem. And even if someone is searching for God, it is because they're responding to God drawing them. Um, the Bible says that no man seeks after God. And so anyone who is, is, is moving towards the Lord, it's because they're responding to what God is doing in their heart. And uh, Jesus says this in John chapter 12, verse 32. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. And so the ultimate mediator... And Jesus Christ has made the ultimate sacrifice to fulfill his role and purpose to restore man to God. And this ultimately, of course, is what he has done uh, by giving his life on the cross, a life for a life. Because he gave his life, men can have life. 
and uh, Philippians chapter two, verse five, very familiar section. Paul writes this. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So because of what Jesus has done in being this great mediator between God and man and and achieving that by giving his life and sacrifice on the cross— God exalts him, and this is something that deserves our worship. This is not just someone that we should look to as, as someone who's fixed the problem. He's more than that. He is the Lord of heaven, the Lord of earth. He is the Lord of all. He's the Lord of you and the Lord of me. He's the Lord of the person out there on the street, whether they know it or not. And uh, he deserves our worship because of what he's done. He's not just someone who um, deserves kudos, uh, because of, of doing a good deed. Uh, he is He is God Almighty. And uh, it is a joy and an honor and a blessing to worship him when we understand who he is and what he has truly done. Doing what we could never do for ourselves and doing it willingly and not just doing it halfway. Jesus did it to the full. Um, you know, he, he, he did it to the full. He held nothing back. The lie that, that Satan tried to tell Eve in the beginning, oh, God's holding back from you. He's, you know, you know, you can be like God if you just did. That's why he didn't want you to eat from the tree. Yeah. Well, that's a lie. And, and Jesus proves that, that God held nothing back when he went to the cross. He gave it all. He didn't have to give any of it, but he gave it all. And uh, he closed that gap completely. And so now man can come to God. Man can be restored to God. Because of Jesus Christ and in and through him, we can have restored fellowship with God. And that's because God has come and drawn near to us. And because God seeks the sinner, because, again, the sinner can't save himself. And uh, there's a verse in Genesis chapter uh, 37 that uh, I really like. And um, um, it's about Joseph. Uh, Joseph, of course, uh, being Jacob's favorite son, um, and his brothers are out tending the flocks, and Jacob sends Joseph out to go find out what they're doing. And we read in Joseph, uh, excuse me, in, in Genesis chapter 37, uh, verse, verse 1. Now Jacob dwelt in a land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of, of Jacob. I'm oh, sorry. That's the, that's the wrong verse. I wanted to read verse 15. Um, verse 14. Then he said to him, please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. And this is Joseph wandering out. So verse 15. Now a certain man found him and there he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him saying, what are you seeking? So here's Joseph out looking for his brothers. He's supposed to be on his mission. (laughs) And for whatever reason, at some point, maybe he got sidetracked, maybe he was bored, maybe he starts daydreaming, maybe he was hungry. 
Uh, when you're hungry, your mind starts to wander, and so you can start to wander. And, and it says that a certain man found him, and he was wandering out in the field. He's not moving forward. He's, he's kind of not making any progress here. He's just wandering around. And that's like, that's like us. That's like the sinner who's lost. He's just wandering through life, trying to make ends meet, trying to figure out which way is up, trying to figure out what you're supposed to do, what you're not. That's, that's the sinner. The sinner is wandering out in the field. But it says that a certain man found him. I find that very interesting. It doesn't just say a man. It says a certain man. I don't know what the Holy Spirit is exactly saying here, but he's pointing out. It says a certain man found him, not just anyone. Someone very specific finds Joseph, and he encounters Joseph, and then he asks him, what are you seeking? And that's what God does. God encounters the sinner out there wandering, and he comes to him, and he says, what are you seeking? What are you after? Adam, where are you? God seeking after the sinner. And, and this is what our great mediator, Jesus Christ, does. Matthew eighteen eleven, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. We don't have a mediator that just waits for the opportunity to fix this. He comes looking for those who he can fix in our lives. And each and every one of us who are believers, he has come and encountered us. He has sought us out as we were wandering out in the field. And he says, he says what are you looking for? I can provide for you what you need, and it's me. And he does that for anyone who would come to him. The Bible says that if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And so God is constantly drawing and inviting and seeking those who would, who would respond to him. And the one and only one who could save himself uh, because he was sinless, the great mediator, Jesus Christ, he refused to do that so that he could save us. And he is still seeking those who would come to him because he is the perfect mediator. And this is why he is the man, Christ Jesus. And so I'll close with this. I'll just simply read our verse. I'll read verse three. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Let's pray. Father, what a wonderful work uh, you have done, one that we could not have done ourselves, and that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, the Holy One, uh, who is uh, every bit of God as you are, uh, to come and to, to be the great mediator that we needed to fix our uh, sin circumstance, one that we couldn't clean up ourselves because we are in ourselves dirty. And, uh, but, Lord, uh, you, out of your love, out of your grace, uh, have come to bridge that gap, to take those who would respond to you uh, in faith and to clean us up and to make us your own, to call us your sons and daughters, that we could be restored in fellowship. Uh, what a Savior. What a Savior you are, Lord Jesus, and that you have done this for us. And, uh, Lord, we ask that you continue to, to minister to us these truths, that we, uh, they get deeper and deeper into our hearts for those of us who believe, and that we can share these truths about you to those that you put us in front of who don't. And uh, we ask that you get us home safely. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>